the problems of idealizing ancient societies. Now let's take a turn once more to another issue in imagined heathenry. In this case, the idealization of ancient societies. As a note, since I am talking in this episode about the horrors of past civilizations, this episode will discuss themes of sexual violence in the ancient world, among other horrible things. So, just a fair warning. This idealization of the past is not something that every heathen does, but it is fairly common, and indeed it is fairly common among society as well. It also occurs with some regularity within other pagan communities, so we're not alone with this. And it occurs in basically the full spectrum of ideologies, so it's not limited to one segment or group of people what I mean is that we have a big issue societally, in our society, and in all those societies around us, with the idealization of ancient societies. Now, there, there's a lot to like about ancient societies, sure. They can be where many of our philosophies, religions, and governmental institutions got their origins. However, the past also is pretty terrible in really more ways than I can count. And there's not really a way to get around that. We can't continue to gloss over it or ignore it. Now where this idealization tends to happen is that people want to see themselves and their values and beliefs and want to see them reflected back to them from these ancient peoples. And honestly, who can blame them? There's a huge bias in our culture that leads us to assume that older is better, which really isn't always the case. This idealization of ancient societies, though, this happened historically with some regularity. So let's go backwards in time a little bit. In particular, this can be seen among fascist groups. The Nazis, like the actual World War II Nazis, they looked back to ancient Germanic society, or at least how they imagined the society was, as a model. But when the Nazis looked back to medieval and earlier Germanic society, they really wanted to see mirrors of themselves reflected back on them. They were not trying to see the past for itself. Their ally in World War II, the Italian fascists, which is honestly fascists proper in the most accurate use of the term fascism, they did this as well. The Italian fascists under Mussolini looked back to Rome and wanted to see themselves reflected back on them. And they both mythologized themselves to make those fits seem more secure. And the Nazis were really bad about this in particular. They rewrote and falsified history to make their claims 
seem more historical and more securely rooted in some mythical golden age of Aryan Germanic awesomeness, which is utter tripe, completely falsified, complete poppycock. Unfortunately, though, some of their falsifications are still puttering around because, well, people haven't had the good sense to question them and scrutinize them and their origins more fully. But we also have some people deliberately holding on to them, which isn't always about ignorance and not knowing the Nazis made up their fake history, but that they're doing it willfully. But to be perfectly honest, the far-right and extremists are not the only people doing this. This happens on the right, the left, the center, everything. And not just in extremist circles, but in extremely moderate circles, too. This is a, an issue which extends beyond ideologies. I'll give you an example. There are very few weeks that go by that I don't see someone trying to paint the Vikings or ancient Germanic people, in an overly rosy light, that they lived in some sort of perfect commune, or as some kind of liberal utopia where gay and trans people lived with full dignity and without persecution, and where women were uplifted and had full and equal rights, and seemingly where there was no societal problems to critique whatsoever, which is completely faults. Sad to say, but the societies of the ancient world were not pleasant places to people of our modern graces. They were quite honestly repressive and horrible on the whole to most anyone perceived in any way as different. I will not be offering any consolations here, only hard truths and some harder than others. The role of women in ancient societies is often somewhat misunderstood. In pre-Christian Europe, it was not exactly the same as it would be under Christianity, but it wasn't exactly substantially better by most factors. Women did not have a high status in ancient pre-Christian Germanic society. Women were not raised up in equality to men, and as a general rule, they were not political leaders, they were not religious leaders. Exceptions may have existed on occasion, but the exceptions do not override the vast amount that we have to the contrary. Women generally would have only found relief from being under the control of the men in their lives, in their society, after they became widows. And that relief and relatively positive position in society was short-lived if they remarried. You were honestly lucky if you lived through all of your pregnancies in the ancient world. And if you didn't, you were generally summarily replaced. That persisted right up to the modern world. Part of the reason for this is economics. Women make babies, and babies become farmhands. Furthermore... With the high infant mortality rate of the ancient world, and with non-existent contraception, women would have had a lot of children overall if they survived those pregnancies, that is. But the long and short of it is that there were gender roles in these ancient societies, 
in ancient Germanic society. It wasn't fair, it wasn't equal, and there were far more opportunities for men within the society. As long as we're on the topic of gender, though, we might as well swap over to the complex topics of the interassociation between gender and sexuality. If the account we have is true, if he lived in today's world, the ancient Roman emperor Elgabalus would be considered to be trans. It is said that he wanted the doctors of his time to use their medical skill to make him as a woman. But was this a possibility at the time? No. It hasn't been until quite recently to have this be a surgical possibility. So should we, in retrospect, apply this modern understanding of transness onto Elagabalus? Probably not, for a few different reasons. We conceive of things differently now. What we today consider to be a reality of the modern world, and it is a concrete reality with a very concrete existence, it, it could not have been fathomed at that time period in the same way. To make matters even more complicated, should we even wholesale trust the account that we have that says that he was of this persuasion? No. We should absolutely not trust it. They may have just been trying to badmouth an emperor that they didn't like with what at the time they considered to be slander most foul. Elagabalus was one of the absolute most hated emperors of all time, after all. And his murder was planned by his own grandmother. And so I wouldn't put it past them to say whatever they wanted to about him. He was not a well-liked person. And therein lies the problem of any of this. They thought differently in the ancient world. When we have accounts of homosexuality, or what we today consider to be the signs of transgenderism, or transvestism, or other behaviors that would indicate these things in that realm, well, these accounts may not be accurate. They are universally, in every account we have, being applied by others onto those people. We have no self-reported accounts of these behaviors in the ancient world. And culturally, these cultures were not generally well disposed to these behaviors. So these accounts should not be read positively like we might be inclined to read them today, but instead should be read with some level of great scrutiny. Because in the cultures they lived in, and the cultures that followed them, these behaviors were considered shameful. So the authors of the accounts may have been making up these things about historical figures that they didn't like. Or even if they did believe them at the time, they may have been perpetuating gossip that circulated that someone else may have made up. And even if they are accurate, I feel sorry for those people they lived in a society that would shame them and castigate them or kill them 
for their sexual orientations and their gender. When these behaviors potentially, potentially occur in a somewhat positive fashion in our literature, they are obscured so that no one can be certain of them. We can gossip about them hundreds of years after the fact, make up all sorts of conjecture, but we cannot know for sure because they don't tell us. There are several instances of this, figures that could potentially be queer in some way or another, but which there is nothing for sure said to confirm it in a positive way in the sources of the time. Asmund and Aaron, there's some indication that there might, might have been something more than a little homosexual going on in this story. Ocean did a thought-provoking video on this possibility recently, but as he pointed out, it's uncertain. It's never stated in anything close to certain terms. But here's the kicker. If the society as a whole at that time had been even remotely accepting of homosexuality, don't you think that they wouldn't have had to have veiled it and couched it in so many layers that it's so opaque that we can't see it directly? If it were there, don't you think that if that time, if they had wanted us to know it, we would have? They insert this layer of doubt to cushion it. That they don't say that there is homosexuality is actually <laughs> indicative of and part of the stigma against homosexuality in that ancient culture. We don't get to have positive homosexual figures because none of them are allowed to actually be homosexual, especially not openly. Like we're pretty darn sure that Patroclus and Achilles were lovers. Even folks in the ancient world speculated about it, but there is always that layer of doubt because we're once again deprived of open, positive, homosexual examples as it's couched in brotherhood. Or maybe they weren't homosexual. Maybe they were just reading into things. They probably were, maybe, probably. But that's the thing, we'll never know for sure. And that's part of the problem. We're deprived of certain positive examples of homosexuality. We're deprived of positive examples of anything like this. And you may be wondering then, how did these particular figures get away with it if they were homosexual? If there was so much stigma there and threat of violence against them? They were likely being protected by their higher status in society. The moral of the story is, as it often is, rich people can get away with anything. But also there's that nice layer of doubt, too. Suspicions are one thing, and being open about it quite another after all. As we go along, though, 
another part of this issue is that of time and the changes of view. How we conceive of sexuality has changed over time. How we conceive of gender is currently changing right now in our society. How we conceive of these things is cultural, and we are in a different culture than these peoples that lived in the ancient world. The reality that we live in is often subject to what we believe is possible for us. There are many, many more possibilities now than there once were, so we have a broader horizon, and our reality is wider as well. In the ancient world, what was possible and what was allowable was constrained, and so the reality that they lived under and how they saw the world was very different, and this affected, yes, all aspects of their culture, be it sexuality or gender or anything else. What we do know for absolute certain is that these societies were not like the world today. The world today is growing ever more and more accepting of homosexuality and transgenderism. In today's world, these people are valid or at least they should be acknowledged as being valid. We're still a work in progress, too, sometimes. But in the ancient world, they had not made nearly as much progress. Or what we would consider to be progress. I don't want to make the mistake of teleological history here. But in this case, being a person in the modern world, the modern world is nice. And it's what I'm used to. And it's a lot more equal and fair. Now, don't mistake me here, and don't get me wrong here. Queer people have always existed. And I'm not at all saying that they didn't exist in the ancient world, because if they didn't, they wouldn't have talked about it so much, or had as many taboos about it, or laws about it, these people absolutely existed. It is a natural part of being a living thing that some of us in our population are homosexual. There are queer penguins, for goodness sake. So it is a function that exists within nature. To think that it wouldn't exist within humanity in the ancient world would kind of be ridiculous. What is, however, in question is society's response to this. And as good as things are in the modern world, even our society struggles with how to respond to LGBTQ plus people. The ancient world so much more so. So most of those people would have likely struggled with themselves and with a society that disapproved of them and probably they would have struggled silently, but more so than today. Because being sunk in a bog under a hurdle of willow, being drowned to death for being gay, is off the table in today's world, where it wasn't off the table in the ancient world. And that's not a joke. That's actually something that's more or less implied in the traditional interpretation for a passage in Tacitus's Germania. In such a world, 
where harsh stigma existed against homosexuality coupled with the potential for being legally murdered for your sexuality, those people had every reason not to be discovered. But they certainly existed in some form or fashion, as they always have and always will. One of the hardest issues to avoid, though, in the ancient world is the issue of slavery. We cannot try and sweep this under the rug. It informs us greatly about the nature of their societies in the ancient Germanic world and how they saw people. Slavery is also the nexus point where so many of the most horrible aspects of all of these other issues meet. Essentially, they made a slave of anyone that they could get away with making a slave out of. This tended to be non-local people. They obviously wouldn't enslave a local. They enslaved foreigners. Which brings me to the issue of race, which overlaps with the issue of slavery, because they enslaved foreigners, or at least non-locals, typically. Race is a modern concept, a modern construct, with very modern connotations. The ancient peoples, the ancient world, often had some minor concepts of what we might deem to be a race-like understanding, but they were never really quite well fleshed out. One of the issues, though, is that these people were not so good at conceiving of the entirety of the vast world around them, and in general were quite unaware of the multitude of different peoples out there and what they looked like. Many of these people would be born and live and die without ever meeting any free person from farther than one village over, if that. By today's standards, it would have been a very white world in Northern Europe. <laughs> but now, racists, don't you think that I'm confirming anything for you because I'm about to rip it all away? There have been a lot of studies recently challenging the perfect lily-white vision of Northern Europe because they're doing DNA tests on folks that were buried in the Viking Age, and they found that early medieval Europe was not so lily-white as pres presumed by some. But non-racists don't mistake this as good news, because I'm about to rip it all away from you too, and in the worst possible way. Remember how I was talking about slaves a minute ago, and how they enslaved foreigners? Well, whatever we do discover in their DNA that leans to a somewhat more cosmopolitan nature of these people, it just shows that they were equal opportunity kidnappers, enslavers, and rapists. The mixture of other ethnicities of people into the Viking society was through kidnapping and slavery and rape. So while these people weren't racists and didn't care about race when it came to who they interbred with, that comes with the price of acknowledging that these unions were generally not at all consensual. This is one of those moments where what gores the racists in their vision 
an idealized racist past also unfortunately gores the vision of an idealized positive multicultural past instead what we get is a really unfortunately negative multicultural past oh and i should probably add to that whole slavery thing it was really bad on so many levels but it's fairly well understood that in ancient Scandinavia that the prohibitions and stigma against homosexuality really only applied to those who received and not those who gave. And those prohibitions and protections and laws that it did exist, though few, would have only applied to free men. I'll give you a second to put that together in the worst possible way. Yeah. That means that the ancient Norse could rape their male slaves with impunity and that they would have seen nothing amiss about that culturally at the time. And there would have been no protections for those people, nor would have been there any punishments for the aggressors. There were no rights protections, or privileges for slaves. This leads us to a very important point. Not everything in the ancient world is worth reconstructing, and not everything modern has to be rooted in something ancient for it to be valid. I would love to visit some ancient time in a time machine and interview some people about their religion, but would I want to stay? Gods, no. That would be horrible. The past sucked, and generally the people back then were really horrible people. I guess one way to put things is that we care more about human rights now than our ancestors did than any of the ancient people in the ancient world did. Gay rights are human rights. Trans rights are human rights. Women's rights are human rights. We don't have slavery now because we've taken human rights at least somewhat seriously. People deserve bodily autonomy. Our ancestors didn't care about any of that, though. We've come a long way, though. But given certain folks' attitudes, we still need farther to go. But that doesn't stop us from already having come a long way. When we have modern pagans mimicking the social structures of the ancient world, this is bad. In fact, it's one of the most glaringly bad aspects of, say, Theodism. Theodism is a branch of Anglo-Saxon paganism, but one which has not just embraced the religion of these ancient peoples, but has embraced mimicking and playing at their social structures as well. They play at slavery. How anyone plays at slavery is beyond me, but they do. They have thralls. A fancy word for slaves. To be inducted into their group, you come in 
worthless and you sell yourself into ritual slavery to a member for a period of time where you are forced as their thrall to do the dishes and cleaning up and fetching refills, at least if you want to fulfill your oath and if you want to potentially gain entry into the group. You persist with it. And then once they do, if they do deem you to have been a slave long enough, then they'll sell you back your ritual freedom, and then you will get to swear fealty to their lord. So yes, they didn't just bring back playing at slavery, they brought back lords and kings and stuff like that. You swear your fealty to the lord, and then you're a member of their theod. The entire affair, I find, generally reprehensible and gross. They also have gender roles, which is not something I'd sign on for. Ah, good old feudalism showing us that power corrupts, and the more power a person wields, the more corrupt they can be. It's times like these that I gotta go with the American revolutionary rhetoric and Republican Roman long before that of down with the king. Let's be real. Those kings and lords we see being mimicked in theodism, and hey, Norse doesn't get a pass here either, as there are plenty of people all across the world playing and mimicking it, being a chief or a jarl. But none of those people are actually fulfilling the roles of a king or a lord. Unless you get a few hundred acres of your own out of the deal, it's probably not worth your fealty, and certainly, absolutely not worth your enslavement. But here's the worst of it, the worst problem of theodism, and indeed these other groups playing at recreating ancient societies, is that they're often recreating the ancient society pretty accurately, or at least as accurately as one can manage in the modern world while still being legal. And yes, that's a bad thing. Playing at it, yes, but still recreating it. You see, the ancient society did have kings. These ancient societies did have slaves. These ancient societies did have gender roles. These ancient societies did and would have discriminated against people for any perceived variance in gender or sexuality. And one of the issues of playing at this is, is that we raise it up and give it value and worth by doing so, when in reality these aspects of the society of the ancient world are truly the worthless parts. And for those of us who are sweeping the bad parts under the rug so that we can idealize the societies of the ancient past, well, <laughs> you're not looking at some ancient utopia in which we can see reflections of ourselves unless those reflections are incredibly dark, incredibly ugly, incredibly twisted. You know how that old adage of representation matters? Yeah. It matters today. Finding representation today matters. But you don't need to find or make up representation in the ancient world to try and look for it where it doesn't exist, or at least not in a positive way. The present is still perfectly valid without having to have every facet of our modern world 
in our modern society rooted and represented in something ancient. We do not, I repeat, do not need to try and go and find representation in the ancient world to have something be valid in the modern world. It is valid all on its own. Just because something is new does not mean that it is wrong or invalid. We will not always find positive things in the past to find reflections of. And even if we do, we cannot merely focus on the foreground when the background behind it is so absolutely horrendous. The ancient world sucked. It really did. It was cruel and repressive and not at all progressive. It was a bad place. This is why I included as the first point in the Declaration of Deeds, as a point number one, we endeavor to be better than our forebears. Their society was a product of its time and was often deeply flawed, but their religious belief in the gods we hold to be timeless. We endeavor to reconstruct their religion, not the flaws in their society. Ultimately, we should be better than them. We should be better. We don't need to find our values in the past because the past sucked. We can find our values in the present, in communion with our modern man, our modern woman, our modern humans, so that we can move into an even better future that will have progressive things in it that we can't even conceive of yet. And most of all, we can recognize the problems of the past and also practice this religion. Because while the ancient world had its problems separating religion from the rest of its culture, we don't have that issue anymore. We can separate them out. Religion does not have to be linked to everything else. And I maintain that although those societies were terrible places, that their religion is worth saving. The religion is worth reconstructing. We can take the good of the religion and drop the society it was found in like the misogynistic homophobic turd that it was. It has been a little bit since I put out a video, but I have a few that I have that are on the docket, either that I've recorded or that I have scripts already written for. But in this interim time that I haven't put out a video, I would like to thank my 32 generous patrons who have continued to donate during that time. Thank you so much. I would also like to give credit where credit is due to Anton Shiloh, uh, for whom I have to thank for my intro music. His song, Call of Valhalla, uh, is my intro, but I added a little bit of my horn blowing into it as well. So thank you. 
Now, if this video has made you think deep thoughts or if you agree or perhaps if you learn something new, you'll think about liking, subscribing, or sharing. I hope that you've gotten something out of it. And I hope that you tune in another time. Thank you.